So did you know that Kerrygold butter is actually made in Cork and that milk produced by farms in Cork has made its way to babies' bottles in China and beyond? Thousands of jobs are dependent on the dairy industry and after years of flux, the cream is rising back to the top. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy. A little later, we're going to hear about the artisan food businesses in Cork that have sprung up and the feature in a new guide. But we're going to begin this week with Dairy Gold. Still owned by Cork's farmers, the company has been heavily investing in new facilities in recent years and they are feeding markets right around the globe, as well as providing the milk that goes on our cornflakes. Jim Wolfe is the CEO. I met him recently and started by asking how a Limerick man ended up in charge of the Cork Co-op. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Combine all your lines of communication and simplify the game. Search Vodafone One Net Business today. Well, I ended up, actually, I, I went to college in the, in the late 70s in, in, in UCC and studied uh, dairy science. Uh, and upon graduating, uh, I moved uh, to Ballyclaw Co-op in Mallow. Um, finished in college on a Friday and started on Monday in Ballyclaw. Straight in? Straight in, uh, that was it. Um, so on my return journey to Limerick, as it were, I got as far as Mallow and uh, have stayed. You, uh, never, you never got past Mallow? Never got past Mallow, uh, yeah. That's, been, an ad, that's an ad for Mallow tourism, if ever there was one. It's been home since, yeah. Um, Ballyclaw is my parish and um, you know that's where I am and that's where I have been. What was the industry like back then? Because was it literally milk comes in farmer gets either paid or gets the equivalent back in goods was it a simple model well it had it, i suppose it had evolved a lot because like the co-op uh, model came into being in the in the in the late uh, 1800s right uh, so so it was, it was 100 years almost in existence it had really evolved in the 60s and 70s with a lot of mergers going on Ballyclaw at the time was a formation of quite a lot of co-ops from mid cork uh, from the daily disposal era um, co-ops from Limerick, East Limerick, Clare, North Tipperary and so on. So that was what Ballyclaw was. Primarily the Ballyclaw model in Mallow at the time was actually it was a little, uh, um, if you like, dairy industrial park. You had the Borden Company, you had Rongtree Macintosh, uh, you had Congate there at one stage. That was Ballyclaw. Then it was very much um, uh, an organisation that was actually um, business to business. Um, because there wasn't really a consumer element uh, to it. Yes, there was some liquid milk in the town of Mallow um, in Springmount area at the time, but other than that, it was it was really a, um, a consumer-producing organisation. So, 38 years on, you're still there, yeah. but the business has changed. Has it changed beyond all recognition? It has changed significantly. I suppose what has happened in the industry is that the number of milk producers has fallen significantly, you know, from the point of view of there's been concentration in the industry. I mean, if you look at Ballyclaw, Ballyclaw and Mitchison came together then in 1990 to farm Gold, uh, which is 20, that's 27 years ago now. Um, and the industry has changed in that period. We're down at this point in time, our numbers actually of shareholders are 7,100, of which 2,900 were our, our milk producers today. When we merged in 1990, there was 6,300 milk producers. So it just gives an, an indication of the concentration, the scaling up that has happened at farm level in that period. We, we were talking about how you joined what was the old Cowan Gate factory. There's a lot of similarities to what you're doing now, because one of the big products you're doing is producing 
the core ingredients for baby farming. Yeah, uh, well, it was Betty, I joined Betty Claw, as it were, um, and at that point in time, it had a relationship with the likes of Congate, a relationship with the Borden and with Ronty McIntosh and so, and so on. Um, what has happened is, is the, 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 you know, often there's a saying is the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, and it's often thrown off in our industry. Because in today's world, the dairy gold of today, uh, our key customers that we count now, and some really key customers even in the Cork area, is the likes of Danone, um, who are the you know the Macron factory being the largest uh, baby food factory in the world at this point. Uh, we count Nestle uh, in Askeaton as one of our key uh, key customers. Um, and many others. So from that point of view is we're still the business to business, the high quality ingredient specialist uh, to uh, a discerning um, uh, customer no, no, market. No, Where does cork milk go? Because it doesn't all stay in cork anymore. You mentioned how there used to be a little bit of the milk would hang around Mallow. The products go everywhere now. The products go everywhere. I mean, if you look at our 1.3 billion litres of milk, right, this current year, we will make 235,000 tonnes of dairy products, okay? And if we break that down, uh, you know, a big portion is cheese, right? About 38% is cheese. The predominant market for cheese is Britain, cheddar cheese, because cheddar is, is, is our predominant. We do continental cheese in East Cork and Morgili, uh, and that goes to Greece, it goes to Italy, uh, and it goes for Jarlsberg for the Norwegian uh, company called Tina. So cheese, British market. If we look at the powder side, the powder side then is very much into whole milk powder, skim milk powder. That's into the to the, to the chocolate industry, to the to the to the, to the um, uh, broader food industry because it's whole milk powder and those are ingredients in other food products. So that's a European based, equally into Africa, uh, and of course then we have the whole issue of powders for Asia as well. Two elements to that. You have the, the skim powder for infant formula ingredients going into Asia, but equally we have the whey powders coming from the cheese stream for the infant formula base, and that's going into China as well. So in other words, the cows that are in the fields around Cork are producing products that are going as far afield as Africa, China, right around the globe. Middle East, Africa, China and Latin America. Now, if we went back in time to 38 years ago and we told you, first of all, Jim, I have good news, you're going to be running the company, and second of all, you're going to be looking at markets like China and the Middle East, what would young Jim Wolf have said to that? Well, I wouldn't have believed you in the first instance. Um, you know, look, um, I suppose there's one thing in the context of, uh, of your career, you can have vision, but opportunities to come as well uh, to realise vision or whatever. It was never, that was never in my thoughts at, at that stage in my, in, in my career. Um, but it has been a great industry to work in, it's been a challenging industry, and it is, it is an industry that is, at this point, has gone through a renaissance. And yeah, let's talk about that, because there were pretty dark times during the crash, when you know everyone suffered, the industry suffered, the farmers suffered, you weren't immune to it. But it was particularly tough in many ways for Dairy Gold, seeing how the nearest neighbours and the rivals, Kerry, who we'll talk about, were going in one direction and you seem to be going in the other. Yeah, the, there was a difficult time uh, 10 years ago in the, in the late noughties. It was, was pretty challenging. You know, At that point in time, we had there was a spin-off company formed and um, the property and uh, other activities were put into that and uh, the strategy didn't work out. The crash coincided with it. Uh, and regrettably didn't work out uh, and then there was a period about resolving the issues around that and that was part of that was the you know the late noughties and uh, the early part of this decade um, 
and thankfully that has happened. That's those issues have been solved today. The organisation has a strong balance sheet. Uh, uh, you know, revenues are growing, profitability is growing, um, and we're well invested now again. Uh, so that is, we've come out of that period. Uh, but you know, it, it had its challenges, no doubt about that. We talk about challenges. You mentioned how the Brits love the cheese that you create. Is Brexit going to cause holes in that market, a bit like the Swiss cheese that you might be offering? Yeah. I suppose the first thing is that when we look at our, our product portfolio, cheddar cheese is a big part of our, of our business. Um, right now, for the, for the British market, we would be putting the equivalent of 300 million litres of milk into cheddar for that market. The Brexit scenario depending on where it's going to pitch. Now, we don't, we don't know this. You know, we don't know the negotiators. We're often unsure uh, from one end. But they haven't they? talked about cheese yet, I'm guessing. No, they haven't. But they have, they have mentioned things like um, a, if, a, um, no deal is better than a bad deal. Now, we have to think about that and just conjuring an image of that is that you fall back to uh, WTO tariffs and all of that. That would be a real, real doomsday scenario for the cheddar industry because that would be the equivalent of a levy of 50% of 16 centiliter on the milk. That would make cheddar unviable un in that situation. Now, we would, we, would, we would always plan for the worst and hope for the best. Um, but having said that, honestly, my, my own belief on that is that the common sense will prevail. We've moved mallow. What's happening in Mallow? Yeah, well, Mallow, we're just, uh, we're just coming to the end of the current phase of investment in Mallow. And I stress the current phase because we have further ambition for Mallow site. Um, but um, uh, there is, uh, there'll be approximately 86 million invested in Mallow uh, when these first two phases are complete and we'll be officially opening Mallow in September. Um, and that's very exciting. So we've regenerated the site in Mallow completely. So we've put in a whole new complex. We've re-engineered the whole site. And it's very sad. It's just opposite the train station there. People would be familiar with it on the N20. Then if you go out the road to Mitchellstown, more investment there. What have you done there? Yeah, we have put in... Um, we've, we have, I suppose, the first thing that was very important in the context of development of Mitchellstown was there was a ring road in place. Uh, and, uh, and we were fortunate as a management team to be able to access that. Uh, so we immediately accessed the site and opened up the, the site at Castle Farm uh, and turned it into what is our major site today, uh, where we have uh, a whole range of, of activity going on there on the protein side, um, you know, from powders, a casein and whey proteins manufactured there. Uh, and then in the context of the last uh, two years, uh, fortuitously, uh, we were able to land the Kerrygold factory in there. Of, that's the centre of excellence for butter production with Ornua. So, you know, so hang on a second, so you're telling me Kerrygold butter is now made in Cork? Kerrygold butter, which is owned by the, the brand is owned by the industry actually, not by Kerry Group, but it's owned by the industry, is manufactured in Cork, in Mitchellstown, on a site that's owned by Dairy Gold. Right. That must drive them mad in Kerry. I don't think they know that. We might have to inform them diplomatically, will we? Well, there's always confusion in the marketplace when people see Dairy Gold spread is manufactured by Kerry and Dairy Gold site makes Kerry Gold. So it's, it's <laughs> a little bit of a riddle me this and riddle me that stuff. But I suppose, Jonathan, where it is, the, the Castle Farm site in Mitchestown uh, is our major dairy site. Um, that in itself, I mean, butter is in vogue now. Um, uh, glad that that investment was landed in Mitchestown. Um, just 38 million of an investment. So that site is 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 what we would call is is one of our iconic sites now. Dealing with all fat, dealing with fats, dealing with proteins, and so on. 
And then in the other part of Mitchison, on the Clanmill Road, we have the cheddar cheese factory, uh, which is uh, uh, one of the largest cheddar cheese factories in the British Isles. Um, and that in itself is, uh, you know, processing at the moment in the region of 13.5 to 14 million litres of milk per week. Um, and that's very important to us in the context of the scale of volume coming at us. You, you mentioned whey powders, and, and that this was a byproduct of, of producing other stuff that Dairy Gold did. And then, lo and behold, fellas started taking these powders to make their muscles big. Was that a nice opportunity, a nice little gap in the market you spotted for yourself? Yeah, um, I suppose from you're, you're very right that if, if you look back 25 years ago, it was about how you could dispose of whey. If you were making cheese, you had whey. For every 10 litres of milk that you put into cheese, nine goes in the whey stream. So you had a big issue of volumetric to deal with, and through good research, good uh, good innovation, uh, you know, um, the my predecessors had decided to invest in the whole area of demineralising the whey. In other words, taking the the, the phosphates and all the other uh, the non uh, the, the the minerals that weren't good for you, as it were, yeah. purifying it, and that was then pure protein. And lo and behold, that pure protein could go in a couple of directions. You could go into the sports nutrition side, or you could go to the infant formula side. So stuff that was been effectively disposed of 20 years ago, yes. you're now making money of? I recall it, being, it was being sold or being disposed about to pig farms. And even in certain cases, when in the 60s, I remember uh, observing it, uh, being actually you know, finding places for it to dump. Uh, and now... This fellow's taking it in the gym. This exactly. It's <laughs> now being separated out, purified, dried, and being going into a sports nutrition side, or even in our case, it's going down the infant formula channel. I just want to finish up by asking you about the future because you've got a good pipeline coming through. You've put major investment in. Farmers are producing more milk than ever before. How optimistic are you now that this is a sustainable industry going into the future? Because the food is big, and we'll be talking about this with our food panel shortly, how big Irish food is. Have we, have we cottoned on to a good thing here that will sustain the jobs into the future and, in fact, help grow the Irish economy? Yeah, I, I think the dairy industry is a very is a resilient industry. The dairy farmers are very resilient people, right? Um, I think there's a very bright future for dairy. Yes, we'll have the volatility because we're working in a global market now. So we're going to have the swings and the roundabouts that we've seen over the last few years. A good example of it is if we take the milk price at farm level in May of 16, it was 22 centilitre. In May, in May of 17, it's 32 and a half centilitre. That gives you an extent to the volatility. So uh, our members must be prepared to deal with the volatility aspect of it. But we're in a market, or we're in a, in a, in a global uh, environment where population is growing. Global population is increasing at the rate of about 83 million uh, um, people per annum. So it's heading to 9.8 billion by 2050. As well as that, we have uh, a population that is becoming more urban. Urban people consume more dairy and more, uh, you know, are more purchasing uh, than the rural. Uh, we look at income per capita, even in the emerging markets, is, is increasing. So as it increases and as they become more urban, they consume more dairy. So the outlook from a global point of view is that you will have an increase in demand of between 1.5% and 2% per annum, tending towards 2%. The future is bright, but it won't be without volatility, and we have to understand that, but over, in a time basis, when you look at cycles of three to five years, 
uh, dairy uh, and the dairy outlook is, is good. Will you ever make it back to Limerick? Or are you stuck in Mallow now for the rest of your days? Well, um, I always wear the green and white when it comes to uh, the, in terms of Gaelic games and uh, Limerick is, is um, the savage loves his native shore. <laughs> Jim Wolf, CEO of Dairy Gold, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jonathan. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Never miss an opportunity when you simplify the game. Search Vodafone One Net Business today. So Dairy Gold, the real big players in the food market in Cork, but there are so many other providers who are making a name for themselves and growing their business. So we thought it was right that we would tip our hat to some of them today and no better place to go than down to West Cork where they have an awful lot of artisan food so much that they have brought out their own guide. And to tell us a little bit more about that with me in studio, Helen Collins, who is the chair of A Taste of West Cork Food Festival and also the guide, and Paul Phillips of West Cork Pies. You're both very welcome to studio. How are you? Hi. Hi. Uh, Helen, first of all, tell us a little bit about the guide and why you decided to bring it out. Well, basically, I'm clinically born and raised and I see myself as completely blessed uh, to have eaten the food of West Cork all my life. And it wasn't until much later in my life, really, that I realised what high quality food we had. And... Whilst we understand in West Cork that we are actually the centre of the universe, (laughs) we do recognise that perhaps the entire of the rest of the world hasn't quite yet reached that realisation. So this is is a duty, a civic duty of yours to spread the message? Yes, completely. I mean, I, I feel, as I say, entirely blessed to be surrounded in West Cork by this incredible food and we want to tell the world about it. So how many artisan food companies are contained in this guide? Well, I can say to you quite simply, this is 80 pages, magazine style guide, and that's how many incredible food producers and specialty food shops and food markets that we have from Bandon to Berra. From Bandon to Berra. From Bandon to Berra, across over to McCroom and basically south to the Fastnet Rock. Paul Phillips, you're in this, I think, page 14, if if, if memory serves right from flicking through it earlier on. Yep. People will hear your accent in a moment and they will realise yeah. that you're, you're perhaps not first generation West Cork. Where, where do you hail from, sir? Uh, no, I'm from London originally. So, um, no, I'm not uh, definitely not first generation West Cork. Uh, my wife is Irish. She comes from, uh, from County Limerick. But we settled in West Cork in Skull uh, four and a half years ago now. And um, I've always been fascinated with food. And there's been such a strong food culture in West Cork that when I came here originally to retire, um, I just that, wanted... That's going well, that is it? <laughs> no, I, I actually... T- I work more hours for less pay now than I ever did before. Um, but I enjoy it because I'm doing it for myself. So what did you do in London? Uh, well, I used to work for one of the big banks and I'm a barrister. So you were a barrister? So yeah. you went from being a no, barrister... I don't practice anymore, but yeah. To a barrister to making pies? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Quite, it's quite a leap. Yep. (laughs) So tell us, where did you get the idea for uh, West Cork Pies? That's the product. Um, Because just before we moved here, um, Anne, my wife and I were talking about um, uh, what I'd miss about the UK. And there are very few things, actually. They were just all food related. Um, One of which was uh, the occasional pork pie, a Melton Mowbray style pork pie and uh, scotch eggs. And you just don't get them here in Ireland unless you go to Marks and Spencer's here in the city or or somewhere like that. And they bring them over from the UK. And I wanted to do something food related, but I didn't want to do anything that competed directly with what other people were doing. So I didn't want to start becoming a cheese producer or make charcuterie or uh, loads of people doing uh, apple tarts and things like that. But no one was making 
meat pies. So that's what I started doing. Taking so did, some did, of the, did you literally start it in your kitchen? Or? Li- literally, yeah. it, literally in the kitchen, yeah. Yeah, I got approved. I was very fortunate. The kitchen layout that we had in, in our house lent itself to uh, me getting approval with the environmental health officers. They gave me approval to make the products at home and sell them in the local market. So I started in Skibbereen Farmer's Market, October 2012. Tell us what stage you're at now. Are you still in the kitchen at home? No, no, I've moved out of the kitchen at home. It's too too disruptive. So I have uh, a production unit, which uh, I rent from Cork County Council, and um, I now supply about 120 shops across the country. And you went down the Super Value Food Academy route as well. Now, people will be familiar with this if they shop on Super Value. There's a little section and it's all yep. the type of artisan foods that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. That gave you a good opportunity to sell it to the wider audience. Yeah, it did. It did. I, I've been selling for just over a year um, at farmers markets, uh, and I still do that because that's fantastic to meet customers and get you know very direct feedback. But um, the Food Academy was uh, was a great help to learn about dealing with the multiple retailers and what they expect from uh, from a food producer. And um, Super Value, you know, they had a good idea with the Food Academy, and it's great to give people a leg up and help them get out there and get wider than their own locality. Well, let, let's hear from someone else who is also in the Artisan Food Guide. It's Avril Alcher. She's with Carabeg Free Range Pork, and I caught up with her the other day. Avril Alcher. Correct. Good How to meet you? you. How are you? Great to meet you. Here in the West Cork sunshine. Absolutely, Would and you? isn't it wonderful? It's, it's always shining here. That's a blatant lie, but thank you for trying. Um, <laughs> your products, your Carabeg free-range pork, tell us how the company came about. Uh, by accident, my husband and I bought a place in Carabeg Ross Carberry for holidays, weekends and retirement. Never went back to Cork, and uh, first child arrived, and then a year later I suggested to my husband getting one or two pigs. We got outdoor pigs, and that was the Carabeg free-range label. Second son arrived and uh, I suggested, I had this idea of growing blueberries because most of our land is bog and got onto Chalgusk, rural advisor at the time. He persuaded my husband to do a course on rural development and Willie came in one day and said, we're going making sausages and rashes and I laughed. And then six months <laughs> just, later, just came in, just yeah, came in and said, it, we're going to do it. Yeah. And in three months, we were producing Carabeg free range pork products. And uh, six months later, we bought the Ross Carberry brand, which at the time was just ra- well, just sausages. And we developed that brand. The difference is Carabeg is from our own outdoor pigs. Ross Carberry, we buy in the pork from Staunton's in Timaleek. We process everything. And uh, now we have my two sons are involved. They did their leaving certs 2014 and 2016. But really, they've been in the business. As soon as their noses got over the level of the tables in the processing unit, they were always helping. And their opinion when it came to developing the black and white pudding and then the gluten-free pudding, their opinions counted more than mine, really, because they have the taste buds. Well, and good for them. Uh, We have samples of it here in front. Gluten-free, everyone's doing gluten-free nowadays. Why did you go down that road? Um, I'm wheat intolerant, but and I've been on with my husband for years saying, the the range of gluten-free products at the time when we were developing it wasn't huge and one of the things was my husband's absolutely uh, obsessed with quality and he if he goes to do something it has to be the best so for example our regular black pudding was the first Irish product to get a medal in the biggest European black pudding competition in 2007 three months after we launched this year our gluten-free black has is the only Irish product to get a medal in that competition and we've got another gold. 
How much credit are the Suns taking for that now? Because if you said that they were heavily involved in the process. Huge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, William and Morris are very aware and they have, you know, through school and uh, an awareness of people with dietary problems. And we developed, this was developed for people who are really and truly celiac. Yeah. Uh, Now, again, we wanted something that had flavour. So, you know, it's good. It tastes good. And we use it at home regularly, as we do all our products. So you went down there, not with an intention of doing this business, ended up getting a viable business that's now supporting your two sons. It's worked out well, the old risk on the sausages. I had that notion that I'd be a lady who lunched. I'm still waiting for the lunch. Well, you can get a lunch of black pudding, but... I that, can, yeah, yeah, but I'll usually have to cook it myself. <laughs> and um, my youngest son, who did his Leaving Cert last year, Morris, he's also now developing a new product, which he will launch in September, um, all going to plan. But yes, the, the business has grown to support one home. Now it is going to have to potentially support three. So the lads have to come in with their own ideas, but they're absolutely emphatic. We remain artisan production. The family of four is two-thirds of the workforce. You know, I sort of do a third of the deliveries. I do 100% of the in-store tastings. I do a lot of talking. I write a blog. Um, my lads, I'm, you know, I'm a sixth of production. So you're, you're doing a bit of everything. And that's part of what we do. It's being absolutely anal about quality all the way and focused on quality. You know, we're all looking over each other's shoulders to make sure that everything is right every time. And it's no good to be set out to be grand. That's not good enough. It's right or it's wrong. And there's no messing. Well, I for one look forward to tasting and sampling this product a little bit later on when I get home. Avril, thank you so much for talking Pleasure. to us. Thank you. Thank you. That was Avril Allshire, Cahar Beg Free Range Pork. And I have in my hand the actual product. I have the black and white pudding, the Ross Carberry black and white pudding. Now, I noticed, Paul, you didn't bring any free products in at all. You haven't done this right, have you? Do you know I did And they're in the boots of the car. Ah, yeah. I see. That's what I like to hear. I forgot them. A little bit of moral pressure, I find, always works well in the circumstances. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, Helen, Helen Collins, back to you. Why is West Cork such a concentration for this type of product? Well, listening to Paul speaking about his journey to West Cork really kind of encapsulates it. I think we we need to go back about 40 years to the original of the cheesemakers, the Veronica Steels, the, the Gobbins, uh, uh, Jaina Ferguson and uh, Jaffa um, uh, Gill, who uh, is Doris Cheese. They all started way back then. And that was the incredible combination that took place between talent from outside uh, and local resources and local talent. And I think that is actually that that wonderful ingredient that makes the magic ingredient of West Cork. I would like to add a huge thank you to Cork County Council um, for supporting us in the publication of the Artisan Food Guide because it couldn't have been done without them. One of the things that that stands out for me in the guide is when you look at it, uh, you can actually go off in a little jolly. You're provided with little maps so you can go and maybe one of the days go around the Sheep's Head Peninsula and and take it all in. And, you know, I know all the food producers backwards at this stage, but even when I was editing, um, I I should say that this guide was researched and compiled by Kate Ryan of Flavor.ie, A Taste of West Cork, commissioned Kate to do it, and she's done a wonderful job. And when I was editing it and going through it over the time, I was loving the journey myself, even though I know all these food producers. And um, so I I know every word of the 80 pages is practically off by heart at this point. But yes, get in your car and 
take a tour to West Cork yeah. because you can and you can break it up into all the different areas that is set out in the contents there um, which is super and uh, if you're a local person in West Cork I bet any money you will find people in there that you actually don't know prior to now mm. because there, there was there was two actually that I didn't know um, thanks to Kate. Even you didn't yeah, know. That I Even didn't you didn't know. know. You've so, been involved and, I, in the and I'm for searching years. after. Paul, so this is retirement, right? So this is this mm. is how this is going for you. You're working more than you ever were working before. At least you're out in a bigger kitchen rather than the kitchen at home. Yep. Where does this go for you? Because this is this is like a second lease of life for you, isn't it? Uh, that's a very good question. My wife keeps asking me that as well. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got the answer to it at this point in time. Um, there's still a lot more work to do. Um, you know, there's many more shops that I can supply here. I've got some new products that uh, will come out oh, towards what, the end of this what, year. What are the new products you have to tell us now that you've said it? I can't tell you what those new products are at the moment. We'll have to wait and see when they go on the supermarket shelves. So, you, but is there a tasting process? Do you go? Do you like gather people around and say, "Well, this is this is the new pie. This is the new pasty. We've done this to the Scotch egg. It's revolutionising the Scotch egg." Is is that how it works? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's also been a uh, yeah. I, I have a number of people that I call upon to taste things and try things, but I, I do tastings in supermarkets, and um, it has been a bit of a journey for me as well because I know pies and Scotch eggs and things like that don't fit within the Irish menu normally. I mean, we'd have turned our snout up at them really until recently, but now that you've yeah. introduced such quality, we're eating them, aren't we? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. I sell thousands every single week, yeah, <laughs> so people are eating them, yeah. And presumably out of all of this, you, you now have people working with you, do you? I do, yeah. I so do. you're creating employment? Yes, and yeah, all, yeah. all of the people, Helen, who are in this book are all creating employment. Absolutely. And you see, some of them, like Paul, um, have scaled up quite significantly. And some actually in there want to stay particularly small because that's that's part of the ethos of their thinking with their product. So you have a full range there of maybe one or two or three people working together and maybe up to um, much higher numbers like Paul and Glen Island and people like that who have who have scaled up very seriously as 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 a customer of Paul's, I have to talk about the quality of his of his pies and his Scotch eggs, which are absolutely superb. I do have a favourite in both categ- categories. I I must say, and there is nothing nicer than the um, the steak and kidney and stout pie when one comes back after a couple of drinks down <laughs> in the square in Baltimore. Now the qu- the question I have to ask is that the one you have in the boot because I really want that. It now. is actually. There you go. That's all right. Well, I, I, you've got some steak and kidney. Yeah. I, I look, I look forward to rating your boot on the way out of the studio. Uh, Paul Phillips of West Cork buys Helen Collins, a chair of A Taste of West Cork Food and Festival. When is the festival? festival? Yeah, tell me about the festival. When's it on? Uh, the festival uh, is in September, second week of September, starting the 8th and uh, finishing on the 17th. Um, we're in the process of doing the programme at the moment. There are over 200 events in the programme, stretching through 36 towns and villages and nine islands in West Cork. Please come and enjoy because there are some amazing events. There's something for everybody. There's um, free events during the day, fabulous talks, tastings and uh, fine dining in the evening, guest chefs you, you, coming you, from you all You over. won't go hungry. That's the yeah. one thing. And the book, the little booklet is available? The, the booklet is, um, the Artisan Food Guide is available in all the uh, news agents from Bandon to Bera, in McCroom, Bandon, Clonacilty, Skibbereen, all the way through and in a number of the bookshops and check out our, our uh, Facebook 
Facebook page because you'll get a full list. See, I should never. Uh, here was me asking someone from West Cork. I just say like, she got everything in. There's not a single bit was missed. Helen Collins of a taste of West Cork Food Festival. Thank you both very much for joining <laughs> Thank us. Thank you, you Jonathan, to Paul as well. very much. <laughs> Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Teams work better when you simplify the game. Search Vodafone One Net Business today. And that's another Red Business. My thanks to all the guests and to Niamh Hennessy who helped make it all happen. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Thank you if you have already. And we'll catch you on the next one. The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy. 